The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the first chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. I cannot speak Spanish, although I took Spanish class in high school. And the reason, the very simple reason I cannot speak Spanish in, type, in spite of taking Spanish classes that I never practiced so I'd show up to class. My parents don't know this. I'd show up to class. I'm going to have to talk to them about this later. I showed up to class, and for an hour, I'd go through Spanish with my instructor, and then I would leave, and I would not open the book again until I came back to Spanish class a week later. Now, I think my instructor just enjoyed spending time with me. We'd shoot the breeze and talk, tell stories and whatever, and so she thought I was doing great, but I was not learning a lick of Spanish. It's, not, it's actually not entirely true, because I do know a little bit of Spanish, but it's the same kind of Spanish you know, from all of the songs that we sing, so I can wish you a Merry Christmas in Spanish. Or I can sing with the Zac Brown band, Adios and Vaya con Dios. I can, I can tell you que sera, sera, but I can't, I can't have a conversation with anyone in Spanish. It makes sense. I thought that I was doing my part, showing up to class and opening the book, but I was not. You can't learn a language by just looking at a set of words once and then expect them to stick. Anybody who's learned a language knows that you have to memorize the vocabulary. You have to practice and practice, and if you quit practicing, you lose it. The words go away. Maybe you can get them back more easily the next time, maybe like riding a bike, but unless you put in the effort, unless you take it to heart, you will never learn the vocabulary. And then what you do is you have to, you have to use it in context, and this is why one of the best ways to learn a language is actually immersion to go to a place where they only speak that language and you have no crutches to lean on, where no one is going to help you out with your own language and instead you have to pick it up by context. Going to a place like that, learning Spanish in a place like Mexico or Spain, that, that's a good way to learn Spanish. Now I think one of the reasons why I didn't put in the effort, besides just being a lazy bum, was that I had no plans really to use Spanish. I wasn't 
interested in going somewhere where they spoke Spanish. I had no goals that had to do with knowing Spanish, and so it was kind of worthless to me. Maybe just to fulfill some requirements, to get some credit hours, but I wasn't actually planning on speaking Spanish with anyone. There's not much point in learning a language if you're never going to use it, and you can't. You can't, in fact, learn a language if you don't put in the time. Today we hear the story of the visitation, which, again, feels out of place this time of year, I know. But just to set the stage, remember how the Gospel of Luke begins. There's a man named Zechariah who's a priest, and he's serving in the temple. It's his time to serve, and he's offering incense, and an angel appears to him and tells him that he's going to have a son. This son is not Jesus. This son is John the Baptist. His wife, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, though she is old, will give birth to a son. Zechariah didn't believe the angel, and so the angel said, here's the sign. You're going to leave this temple, and you're going to go home, and you're not going to be able to speak. You're not going to be able to speak. Maybe to the great pleasure of his wife, you're not going to be able to speak for nine months. And so he was quiet while John the Baptist grew in, her mother's womb, in his mother's womb. About the same time, or about three months later, an angel, the same angel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to have a child, Jesus, who's going to be the savior of the world. And here's the sign, the angel said, here's the sign for you. Your cousin Elizabeth, though she is old, is great with child. And Mary believed what was spoken to her by the angel, and perhaps for a variety of reasons, maybe because of the shame of bearing a child with no husband, maybe because she needed help from her relatives, maybe for any other reason, she went and visited her cousin Elizabeth. And that's what we see in our lesson today. Mary shows up, she knocks on the door, and Elizabeth greets her. And when she greets her, when Mary opens her mouth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. John the Baptist leaps for joy. And Elizabeth is astounded. What pleasure is this that is given to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then Mary, in response, opens her mouth, and she really kind of sings a song. It's this poem. We call it the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. We sing it. During Vespers, if you come on a Wednesday evening, we sing it every week, the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. And Mary is singing because she recognizes in everything that is happening around her, she recognizes that God is at work, raising the humble, exalting the lowly, giving life to the dead, and offering hope to a people who are hopeless. Now that is all marvelous, and that's all the gospel right there. The gospel, in a nutshell, the gospel in Mary's womb, and John the Baptist, even though he's still in his mother's womb, he recognizes it. What I want you to think about today is how it came to be that Mary could sing like that. How is it that Mary could open her mouth and sing such a beautiful song, such a profound song? You'd expect her to say all kinds of things about her pregnancy. In fact, I like to imagine Zechariah sitting there, not able to open his mouth, and his pregnant wife and his wife's pregnant cousin come in the room, and what are they going to talk about? How about their elbows poking them in there, the ribs, and how uncomfortable they might be, or their hopes or their plans, what the names might be for their babies. All kinds of things are on the table when two pregnant women come into a room together. But, but, what do they talk about? The blessings of the Lord. The salvation of God, not just for them, but for the whole world. How could it be 
that Mary was so inspired. Now you might think that this was just the Holy Spirit kind of opened her lips and out came words she didn't understand, that that kind of inspiration is what was happening. But I don't think that does the situation justice. It's not as though Mary didn't understand what she was saying. It's not as though these weren't her words. They were her words, in fact. She knew that she was one who was lowly, who had been lifted up, that she was one to whom the Lord had shown the strength of his arm, that she was one who was hungry and had been filled with good things, that she is one who'd been remembered by the mercy of God. She knew all of that, and so she sang. I think the very simple reason why she was able to do this was because she knew the scriptures like the back of her hand. She knew what is to most of the world a foreign language. She could speak in the language of the Psalms. She could speak in the language of her ancestor, Hannah, who when she gave birth to a son, sang a very similar song, praising God for raising the lowly and exalting the humble. She could sing this song because she knew the Psalms. She knew how her father, David, had praised God for his glory, for his steadfast love, for his mercy, all the days of his life. She knew the scriptures. And that is a gift. Imagine that. Imagine at every moment when something happens, good, bad, or indifferent, imagine when you open your mouth, what comes out is the praises of God, the words of the scriptures. It's like imagining you go to a foreign land and you open your mouth and out comes the language that they speak. How does that come to be? Well, it's really only by practice. It's really only by committing things to memory, by taking them to heart, by putting them into context. Words are powerful. You know this. So there's all kinds of songs that you've heard on the radio that you have never set down to memorize, and yet you know the words to those songs by heart. Words are powerful. They have a way of working into you, through your ears, and they don't just stop in your head, rattling around in your head, but they go into your heart. That's what words do, and we shouldn't be surprised by that because it is our God, the God who created the heavens and the, heavens and the earth, who used words to do everything from the beginning, creating everything that was. And it is God's words that do miraculous, marvelous things, like raising the dead. Remember that story of Jesus coming to the tomb of Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, and what does Jesus do? He doesn't go into the tomb and put his hands on Lazarus and kind of shake him and wake him up. He simply speaks. His words, God's words, have a way of working into our ears and into our hearts and even into the ears and hearts of a dead man, of dead men. It's an amazing thing. Words are powerful. And you should understand that as Christians, you're learning new words. You're learning a new language. And you should also understand that what goes into your ears and into your hearts is what comes out of your mouth. So, the apostles are constantly reminding us to check what is coming out of your mouth. That's a good way to tell what's going into your ears and into your heart. And so if it is grumbling and complaining that come out of your mouth, then what must be going in? Words of dissatisfaction. Words of entitlement. Words of mercilessness and selfishness. If that's what comes out of your mouth, grumbling and complaining, then the words that are going in are not changing your heart 
Or gossip, if it is gossip that comes out of your mouth, speaking evil of other people, then what is it that is going into your ears? Something that tells you that you are better than others, that you have a right to judge them, that their sins, their crimes are worse than yours. That's what must be going into your ears. Or cursing, or boasting. Whatever comes out of your mouth, that is a measure of what has gone into your ears. So pay attention. Listen to the words that are coming out of your mouths and ask, where did they come from? Now, it's a marvel that you are all here on a Sunday morning, and I praise God for it. It's my constant prayer that people will want to hear God's word, that it will be God's word that goes into people's ears and into their hearts. That's why preaching, preaching is central to the work of the church. The world is preaching at you constantly, and it is here in this place that you hear the preaching of God. The good news that your sins are forgiven for the sake of Jesus Christ. But listen. Listen to some math about words. I read this week that you probably hear on average about 30,000 words a day. 30,000 words a day. And if I'm talking really fast on a Sunday morning, you might get 5,000 words out of me. Which in the course of a week amounts to about 3% of the total words you hear. If this is the only time, if this hour is the only hour that you hear God's word, then you'll be like me, learning Spanish. You'll come away with a few phrases. You might be able to ask where the bathroom is, but it's not really going to sink in. If you want to be like Mary, to be able to open your mouth and have God's word come out, then your ears and your hearts must be filled with God's word. One hour out of a week is simply not enough. It's necessary. It's absolutely necessary. This is the starting place. This is where God comes to you, where Christ comes to you in his flesh and blood to give himself to you, his whole self to you. But he sends you out not to stop listening the whole week long. Instead, he sends you out to continue to fill your ears with his word. Now, I don't want to suggest to you that there's some percentage that You know, 3% is not enough, but 50% would be right. I don't want to suggest to you some sort of a legalistic measure for this, but just think. Just think how much it takes to commit something to heart, to commit something to memory, how much it takes to become fluent in speaking another language. It takes a lot. It takes a lot more than we are often willing to give. And that is why we should take our lesson today from Mary. Mary knew where she was going. She knew that she belonged in the kingdom of God, that her God had called her to a different place, out of this world, out of this sinful, corrupt, and fallen world, out of her sinful and dying flesh. God had called her out of that to a new life, to a new place, a new kingdom, where they speak a different language. And so for Mary, it was the most natural thing in the world to learn the scriptures, to learn them by heart, to speak in the language of the scriptures because that, of course, is the language that she would be speaking forever. The same goes for you and for me. Don't imagine that you're learning to be a Christian in the same way that I was learning Spanish, that this is just something that you have to do in order to get credit, but instead think of it as though you're going to live for the rest of your life in another land and you want to be at home. That, that is what can motivate all of us to dig deeper into the scriptures, to hear the word of God more often, to fill our ears and to fill our hearts more often 
with the precious treasures of God's word. Now, I don't want to be too prescriptive about how to do this. There are lots of different ways you can get more of God's word in your life, but I think, I think that imagining it as learning another language, it can be a very helpful thing. So what do you do when you set out to learn another language? You do not begin by memorizing every word that's in the dictionary. You can't. It's impossible. In the same way, you should not expect to know the whole Bible all at once. But instead, what do you do when you're learning a new language? There's a kind of a core of vocabulary, most important words, words that give you the context for other words, a list of vocabulary that you memorize. And then once you've got that down, once you know that by heart, then you can actually begin to start to figure out the other words even without looking them up in the dictionary. Sure, from time to time you might have to do that, but once you've got the basics down, then the rest of it comes easily. So, what are the basics? What are the most important words? What are the ones that you should know by heart? Or at least the ones you should know where to find them, and the ones you turn to again and again, the ones you keep fresh. It should be, in the very first place, the gospel. The good news that your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. Do you know where to find that? In the Bible. You know it's true. But do you know where it is in the scriptures? A good starting place is always the text of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are stories that you should be reading all the time. They're your story. They're the story of your Savior. They should become so familiar to us that we know them like the back of our hand. We should be able to tell them to anyone who asks, who is this Jesus? You should be able to say, well, here's what it says. Here's what the Bible tells us about him. Here's what God says about him. Here's what he said about himself. And so start with the Gospels. And when you read the Gospels, pick one, just one, and read it again and again. When you read the Gospels, pay attention to the most important things. And when you find them, take them to heart. This is what set Mary apart from so many other people when the angel appeared to her and told her about her son Jesus, who would be the savior of the world. She took these things to heart, pondering them. She stored them up. She collected them like treasures. Let that be how you engage God's word. Collect it like treasures. In the very same way that if you're learning another language, once you have learned a very useful word, like where is the bathroom, you don't let go of that. You hold on to that. Once you have learned how to say the most important things, I love you, you do not let go of that. And you practice it, you treasure it, you hold it fast. Let that be how you think about the scriptures. I think that that can be kind of some salvation or some absolution from the overwhelming size of the scriptures. Look, it's a big book. There's a lot there. And you don't expect to learn a new language overnight. But you start with the basics and you dig deeper and deeper all the time and soon... Soon, without even realizing it, you begin to think and to dream and to speak in that foreign language. That's how it works. All of a sudden, the thoughts of God are your thoughts. All of a sudden, when you open your mouth, it's not the words of this world that come out, but it is the word of God. That's good for you. That's a very good thing for you, to have those kinds of words coming out of your mouth. But think about what a good thing that is for the whole world all around you. You become like a light to everyone in your life. Imagine if you had someone like Mary in your life who shows up and sings about God, who sings about the salvation of Jesus. Imagine what you can be 
for everyone in your life. Especially imagine it in terms of the difference between the way that this world operates and the way that the kingdom of God operates. So it kind of, imagine if there was a language that was just a dark and grim language. A language that was all darkness all the time. All it contains are curse words and foul statements and complaining and grumbling. And the tones are off-putting. Imagine that kind of language. And then imagine, on the other hand, a language that is all light and joy. There are no cuss words. There's only blessings. There's always happiness. Everything makes you smile. All of the, the words sound delightful. They ring in your ears. Imagine the difference between those two languages. And that is the difference between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. Notice how John reacts when the words about God come into his house. They pierce through the womb of Elizabeth and John leaps for joy. It's like a light has shined even into that womb. And he leaps for joy. This is what the gospel brings. This is what the word of God brings. It promises it. And if you struggle with it, if you find it difficult, if you say, I don't see it, I can't feel it, I don't hear it, then pray to God because he has promised that his word is a light to your feet and a lamp to your path. Pray to God and he will deliver. He will open the scriptures for you because he wants you to hear the words of his son. He wants to fill your lives with laughter instead of grim silence. He wants to fill your hearts with hope instead of foreboding. He wants to give you life to save you out of this dying world. That's exactly what Jesus has come to do. And that's why Christmas in the middle of July is okay. Because that is our whole lives, day after day after day. The voice of our Savior, who loves you so much that he gave up his life for you. Who loves you so much that he wants to teach you to speak a new language. So much that he wants to give you the words of his Heavenly Father. The words of God's love for you, which never fade away. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.